So what I want to do is I want to talk you through a story today and to get everybody kind of on the same page. If you're a Bible person, not a Bible person, here's kind of, we're going to go way back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was this guy named Abraham, probably heard of him before. Abraham had this unique relationship with God where God called him into what's called a covenant. And a covenant is sort of like a contract, but it's more intimate than that. And the deal was, is Abraham, if you stay faithful to me, I'm going to be faithful to you. And I'm going to give you tons of stuff. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to make your name great in the world. I'm going to, through you, produce a family that's going to become a nation and it's going to bless the entire world. And so eventually this does happen, but very quickly it kind of starts to go off the rails. Within a few generations, these people who God is raising up, that has a special relationship with, they end up in Egypt and they're in slavery for 400 years until a man named Moses gets called onto the scene. And Moses, or God tells Moses, you need to go into Egypt and I'm going to send some plagues. And these plagues are going to convince the Pharaoh to let all of these people go, and it eventually does. And so he marches all these millions of people from Egypt, and he hits the stopping point, the Red Sea. And behind him is Pharaoh and his army, because he's changed his mind. He doesn't want to let him go. And so they're thinking, what are we going to do? And God says, I'm going to part the Red Sea. Parts the Red Sea. Moses and all the Israelites walk on through into the desert. It comes crashing down on the Egyptian army, killing everybody. Well, they're wandering through the desert for a while. And remember this promise that God made to Abraham is I'm going to give you a land. So not only are you going to be a nation, which they were, but now you're going to have a land where you're going to be able to thrive. And so they get to the edge of this promised land, and they're standing there, and they're thinking, okay, are we going to go in and take it or not? And so what Moses does is he sends 12 spies, and they go in there, and they're going to survey the land because there's already people living there. And so as they go into the land, and they look at it, they come back, and they give Moses a report. And two of the people have a good report. Joshua and Caleb, and they say, you know what? This land is exactly like God promised. It's beautiful. We just need to go in there and take it. We got to trust God that he's going to provide, so let's go. But the other 10 spies, they say, no, 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 no. We went in there and we saw it. These people are bigger than us. Their cities are fortified. There's walls around it. We can never, no way, this is a bad idea. In fact, the people begin to turn on Moses and say, why would you bring us here? Are you trying to walk us into a slaughter? We'd rather be back in Egypt, or at least we had some food and shelter, and we're just going to die out here. And so because of their rebellion, not only against Moses, but uh, against God and trusting God, God says to them, all right, if you don't want to enter into the promised land, if you don't trust me, then I'm going to let you, Moses, and your entire generation die in the desert. And they do. And eventually Moses dies, and that's where we're going to enter into our story today. It's in the book of Joshua, and we're going to start at the very beginning, Joshua 1.1. Here's what it says. After the death of Moses, uh, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. So right off the bat, Moses is dead. Joshua, you're in charge. Get my people ready because we're going to take them to the promised land. Now, right off the bat, you have to realize that Joshua is, fading, uh, is facing two major obstacles. The first obstacle is he has to lead these people. Now, leadership is hard no matter what, what you're leading. But think about it. He's got to lead an entire nation of people that not even Moses was able to lead. Moses was the man. Moses was the guy that spoke to God, and God spoke back to him. He went to the top of the mountain, and God gave him ten commandments to lead his people and to guide them. 
Moses uh, was the man who, who, who marched them out of slavery. And so if Mo- Moses couldn't do it, how was he going to be able to do this? Because remember, Joshua wasn't like the vice president and Moses was the president. President dies, VP, you're now in charge. Joshua was his assistant. It was his PA. This guy does not necessarily have any leadership abilities that we know of. And so he's got to now step up and lead a couple million people. The second obstacle is the Jordan River, which is right in front of them. At this time of the year, it's going to be deep, and it's going to be wide, and it's going to be flowing fast, and you have men and women and children and all their belongings that have to somehow cross this thing. That's impossible. It's physically impossible for all of these people to get through this river. And so he has to just be sitting there thinking, God, what have you called me to? (laughs) This is going to be a mess. This seems impossible. The question that he probably asked is a question that all of us have asked at one point or another, is God, why are you making this so hard? Like, I'm following you. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm, you know what? I I think I'm doing everything right, and yet you are making this so difficult. I'm young, I'm single, and you're calling me to be pure? You you, you don't realize what it is to be in this life stage, what all my friends are up to. Wait, 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 you're you're calling me to be honest in an industry where nobody's honest. How am I ever supposed to survive? If I don't cut some corners like everybody else, I'm, I'm gonna be sunk. You're calling me to love somebody who I don't even like, let alone love. How am I ever supposed to love these people? Why are you calling me to do something so hard? I think the answer is, Because if it were easy, then you wouldn't need God. He calls us to do hard stuff because if it were easy, we could do it in our own power. We could do it in our own strength, and we wouldn't even ever talk to God. We wouldn't need him. We could figure it out on our own. But he calls us to do some really tough stuff because he wants us to build a faith and a trust in him. That's really his ultimate goal is, I want you to learn to trust me. I remember uh, probably one of the more difficult decisions I've made in my life, which was to go into ministry. I've told this story before, but I was in business in my 20s and uh, doing, doing well, uh, married, about to have a kid. Uh, we had bought our first house. We had, you know, but we still had all the bills and all that kind of stuff, but it, everything was great. Like, we were taking vacations. Like, it, I, I was living what I considered to me kind of my, my dream life. And then I had this tug where for five years I wrestled with God, and I felt like God was calling me to not just do business, but to get into ministry full-time. And eventually I just came to the conclusion okay, this is what I'm supposed to do, and it's going to be really, really hard to transition because the numbers simply didn't add up. When I was looking at all the bills that I had and the lifestyle that I was living in, and then I looked at the ministry salary, I thought, that's not going to work. In fact, I had a friend during this season who kind of knew the ins and outs of what was going on, and he said, are you, are you sure about this? Like, are you sure that you can pay all your bills and make ends meet, and maybe you misheard God or something? I don't, I don't know how this works. And it was a terrifying and extremely exciting season of my life because I really felt like I was pushed out to the edge of my faith. And I think that's what faith is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be adventurous. It's supposed to be a little bit scary. And if you're not pushed out on the edge where you're going, okay, God, I don't know how we're going to do this. This is seemingly impossible. Then I don't think you're doing the whole faith thing right because it's supposed to be this great adventure that God takes us on. So, Obviously, uh, God has a plan, and he lets Joshua in on his plan. Here's what he says, Joshua 3.8. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Okay, so God, this is your grand plan. <laughs> you want me to tell the priests 
to pick up the Ark of the Covenant, which if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like a, a, a giant chest that held the Ten Commandments in it, and it was a symbol of God's presence amongst the, the people. And so we're gonna pick this up, and then we're gonna walk directly into the Jordan River, and that's the grand plan. You, you had to be thinking, okay, here, Joshua had to be thinking, I remember how this story went not that long ago. Moses walked up to the Red Sea with all the people behind him, just like you're calling me to do. He gets his cane, he hits the water, it splits, he's a G, everybody's celebrating him, and they walk on through. You want me to ask my friends to get wet and hope that God shows up. I don't think I like this plan as much. And so, the first step that God always calls us to is a step of faith. Well, all of them are step of faith because he doesn't give us this grand plan. He doesn't lay out, here's how it's gonna work, here's all the answers or the, your questions, and here's kind of my game plan. And no, 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 no. When God calls us to the seemingly impossible, what he does is he says, no, I just want you to take the first step. I know it doesn't make any sense. I know it seems impossible. I know, I know that you can't figure out how this is gonna work out, but do you trust me? Because if you trust me, just, just take the first step. No, I'm not going to answer all those questions for you. No, 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 that's not how this works. I'm, we're building confidence. We're building faith. We're building trust. And so what I need you to do is I need you to just take that first step. And see, for some of us, we know there's been something in our life that we, it's just nagging at us. We've been on this faith journey, and we know there's this next step. It could be a big next step, like give your life over to Christ, and you know that it's time for you to stop being in control of your life and hand it over to him. For some of us, it's jumping into a group life around here. It's being in community. It's rooted. It's a class. For some of us, it's trusting God with a relationship where we're not supposed to be dating them. We know that. We're living together. It's not God-honoring. It's time to take that step. For some of us, it's time to start trusting God with our finances. I've been in control of this for a long time, and it's time for me to finally just start giving to you. You're trying to produce in me a heart of generosity, and so it's time for me to take a step. See, we have to decide in those moments whether we're going to choose fear or faith. Because faith or fear says that you don't have enough and you will never be enough. But faith says, I trust you even though I don't understand. And so Joshua had to decide, was he going to trust or was he going to uh, continue to um, bow down to fear? My son gave me a great example of this this last week. Um, my, my five-year-old and my soon-to-be seven-year-old have a birthday this month. And so last year, we went to a water park for a couple days. A little water park, but they love it. And so we decided to go back this year. And so this year, my son, he said, I am going, this is before we even got there, I am going this year to go down the blue slide. Okay, the blue slide, there's two big slides. One's yellow, one's blue. The yellow one's open, it's cool, but the blue one's super fast, closed, so it's dark. And he has been thinking about this all year. I am doing the blue slide. Because my sister did the blue sli sl slide last year, and it made me kind of look like a punk, because I wouldn't do it. And so it's time for me to go down the blue slide. And so day one, he walks into this thing. I'm pretty sure he just ripped off his shirt down to Red Bull and then headed to the top of the tower like, <laughs> let's do this. And so he gets up to the top. There's a lifeguard there, and he's little. So she thinks, okay, you're going to go down the yellow side. He goes, blue slide. Okay, <laughs> sorry, get it. And he just launches himself down there. He holds his nose, closes his eyes, and hopes for the best. He gets to the bottom just claiming it, like, yes! And I'm like, did you like it, buddy? He's like, no! <laughs> I'm never doing that again! I said, no, it's fine. So, but he did it. He did it. And I was, I was stoked for him. I was like, good job, buddy. Because here's what he learned in that moment. That's what faith looks like. 
is, I don't know how this is going to go. This is really scary. I'm just going to plug my nose, close my eyes, jump, and we're going to see what happens. And that's kind of what this journey is supposed to look like as we walk with God, is I don't know how this is going to go. This is scary, but you know what? No more thinking about it. No more trying to put it off till next year, next season. No, no, it's now. We're doing this, going feet first, and we're going to see what happens. And so God, knowing Joshua's heart, knows that he's full of fear and anxiety, and so he tells him this, and I love this passage. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, be the, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to gave them. He says it again, be strong and very courageous, because uh, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate it on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I love the passage because it repeats over and over. You need to be strong and courageous. You need to be strong and courageous because you're about to face some stuff that's going to be scary. It's going to be daunting. It's going to be seemingly impossible. And so you need to stand strong. But here's why we stand strong. It's not because we have the power within ourselves. The world would say, you need to just pump yourself up. You need, to, you need to believe in yourself. You need to go out there and you need to take charge. That's not what this says. It says, be strong and courageous because I am with you. If the creator of the universe is on your side, who can be against you? Who can stand against you? No one can stand against you, and so you need to be strong and courageous. But here is one part, and I don't want you to miss this. There's a caveat to this. He says, but you gotta be faithful. You want me to be faithful to you, you need to be faithful to me. Now, this isn't about salvation. Salvation is a free gift, something that we simply accept. Eternal life is a gift we've been given because of what Jesus has done, but if we want to be blessed, if we want to live a blessed life, then we have to hold up our end of the bargain. We have to be faithful to him if, he, if we want him to be faithful to us. G.K. Chesterton says the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And the longer that I'm a Christian, the more I'm convinced that the people who I see come in these doors and try Christianity out and they're dissatisfied and they even get angry at God or the church, it's not because God hasn't held up his end of the deal. They might, be, they might say, well, God didn't do X, Y, and Z. My marriage is still a mess, and my kids are off the rails, and my finances are this, and uh, my job. And, and they can say, God never did anything for me. And what I want to say to them is, but did you hold up your end of the bargain? Did you live a blessable life? Because you can't expect them to bless you if you're not living a blessable life. And what I mean by this is, are you doing the basics? Are you simply doing the things that he called you to do? Because you can't expect him to show up in your life if you're not showing up doing what he asked you to do. And so I ask, whenever someone comes up to me and they say, hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with X, Y, and Z, and before we jump into whatever that specific issue is, I say, well, let me just make sure that you're blessable. Let me make sure that, that there's nothing that's between you and God. And again, it's not that God's angry or doesn't love you or that you, you, know, you can't be accepted or forgiven. That's not true. I'm just asking, can you be blessable? Or are, do you live a blessable life or not? So let's look. Are you doing the things he asked you to do? Are you in the word? Are you reading the scriptures? Are you doing it every day? Are you praying? Are, are you talking to him? Are you in a committed relationship with him? 
Well, what about the, are you showing up here regularly? Are you in a rooted group? Are you tithing? Oh, are you tithing? Well, you know, there's a couple of those things I haven't. Okay, so before we even jump into whatever the issue is, I want you to go and I want you to do the basics. And then once you're doing the basics, then we can talk. Because until we get that resolved, this other stuff isn't going to get resolved. And so if we want God to be faithful and bless us, we have to be faithful to what he's called us to do. And I find that as I, I'm faithful to the, what I call the, the fundamentals of faith, when I am doing those things, I can stand with courage and strength because I know that there is nothing between me and God. There's nothing blocking the blessings of God in my life. And so I can come with a clear conscience and go, God, I just need you to show up and I can stand here and I don't feel ashamed and I don't feel like, oh gosh, I'm not doing it. No, we're good. We're good. And so I know, I can trust that God's gonna show up and do his part. So anyway, this story could, oh my gosh, I'm four minutes? Jeez. <laughs> like on page two. Okay. <laughs> we're gonna have to go fast here, people. We're gonna have to doil speed. All right, so uh, what happens? Yes, so Joseph, or Joseph, Joshua, where are we? Who am I? <laughs> Joshua, what story is this? Okay, Joshua takes charge, and he says, all right, we're gonna go into the promised land. This is what God's calling us to do, and so he sends two spies out to kind of get the lay of the land. They go to the first city, Jericho, and they're kind of checking it out, and they're about to get caught, except this prostitute, Rahab, finds them, hides them, and helps them escape. They come back to Joshua, and they say, it's ours. We just gotta trust God, and we have to go. So Joshua says, okay, we're going to get all the people, tell all the millions of people to get ready to move because we're about to go into the promised land. And so he tells the priest, pick up the ark and start walking. I don't know when God's going to show up, but you go until you drown, all right? So go into the middle. So they start walking. He's going in. And we don't know at what point God starts to work. But before they drowned, he dries up the Jordan River. And these people, the, the priests, are standing there with the ark, and the millions of people, miles and miles of people, are crossing by them through this dry river. And so here's what happens. And, and uh, gosh, I wish I had more time. Okay. Yeah, it's the last service. I can keep going, right? Amen. Thank God. Okay, good. There we go. Okay, uh, praise God. Okay. Um, where am I? This is what faith looks like is you gotta walk into the river and you're gonna expect that God's gonna show up before you drown. It's between here and me drowning that God's gonna show up. I don't know when. I don't know if it's gonna be on the last day and when everything is in the, hanging in the balance and okay, God, I need you to show up right now. Where are you? Your timing seems horrible. You need to figure this out and he'll show up. You just don't know when. And that's the adventure of faith. That's the excitement of faith as we get to walk through and we get to just see when God is going to show up. And so some people say, you know, I've never experienced that before. I hear these stories, on, uh, these testimony stories of people working in powerful ways in people's lives, but I gotta be honest, I've never seen God work like that in my life. And here's my guess. The reason why you've never seen that happen is because you've never stepped out in faith where God's actually had to show up before. You've lived so safe and so comfortable and so within your means and your power that God doesn't need to show up because you've pretty much planned everything out in your life and you've never been on the edge of faith where he has to show up or it's all lost. And so if you've never had a moment where you pray to God, God, if you don't show up, it's over. This is never going to work out. And it's not because you've done something stupid, but because you've stepped out in faith, then you're never gonna get to experience the miracle. You're never going to get to see God work in a powerful way, and it's never going to be able to develop your faith. And so, 
the end of the story goes like this, Joshua 4.1, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of Israel, of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. And so he says, go, I want you to get the stones from where the middle of the river is, where I did the miracle, come and bring them together and we're gonna build a monument because something significant, a defining moment has happened in the history of Israel and here's why you need to do it. Because in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. It's kind of a twist in the story because you think, okay, God, something, something miraculous. Let's worship, let's pray, let's celebrate, and they'll get to that. But the first thing that they do is we need to build a memorial. And here's why. Because in the future, there are going to be your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids, and they're going to walk by, and they're going to see a pile of stones, and they're going to say, well, that didn't just happen. What's the story behind these stones? And you're going to say, oh, that's how we got to where we are. That's, that's, you know, the land that we live in? You know this freedom that we experience? You know all the privileges and benefits that we have? That's because some people trusted in God, and this is what he did for us. And ultimately, it's going to be a pointer to God and his faithfulness. Because these people were faithful to God, God was faithful to them, and we are benefactors of it today. And so for me, here's what this looks like. Is every time I step onto this campus, it is a monument to God's faithfulness. Every time I come to this church, it's a monument. The land, the buildings, the kids building, and all the classrooms, and all the volunteers, and the coffee carts, and the trams, and the trains, and the everything. When I step onto this campus, it is a monument to God's faithfulness, and the story that he has been writing through all the seasons of Seacoast. And even before Seacoast, it didn't just start when Seacoast started. This has been for, this has been for almost 100 years in the making. Doyle talked about it a couple weeks ago. Is this has been, for generations, God has been telling this story, and we all get to be a part of it. And the seats that you're sitting in right now are a monument to not only God's faithfulness, but to other people's faithfulness as well. When I walk into that kid's building, I see a story. I see stories being written even to this very day. I see a story of just a couple years ago. Before we went and we remodeled and some of you guys gave sacrificially to that, we had 380 kids on the weekend. Now we have 550 kids on the weekend. That is kids getting to know Jesus that would never have known simply because we stepped up and we provided a place for them. That's beautiful. When I think about our church, so you may not know this, Doyle kind of mentioned it, it's 50% of us are new in the last five years, which is crazy. And most of them are, like I said, parents who have kids at home. And, and so we walked onto this campus, which cost tens of millions of dollars and generations to be able to create this place. And we sat in and we went, oh, this is nice, this feels good. Yeah, the air conditioning's good, kind of comfy seat. Glad my kids are safe, awesome. And that's, that is, that's incredible. But I don't want us to miss this, is a sense of gratitude. Because every time I walk into, into this building or onto this campus, I have an, a profound sense of gratitude. One, to God and how good he has been to us. He's been so much better to us than we could have ever deserved. 
but also to the people who either are here today or were here in the past who have really made some significant sacrifices in order for us to be here. I know tons of people who in the, in the years when we were building this church and, and continuing in throughout the campaigns that they said, well, I'm not gonna go on a vacation this year. I don't need a car. The down payment on the house can wait. And they're just regular people like you and I. You may be one of them. And they said, because I wanna invest in something that is gonna go far beyond me. I wanna provide a seat for somebody who I will probably never know and I will never get to know, but they may have an opportunity to know Jesus and that's worth it for me. And so I wanna do something kind of weird. It's a little bit strange, but I just want to do it just as a, as a thank you. Is if you have been here and you've been a part of a campaign, whether it's More Seats or Next Step or any of the campaigns that help provide this place that we now get to enjoy, I just want to personally thank you. And so if you're comfortable, just, just stand if you sacrificially gave to one of those so that we as a church can thank you because I want to make sure that we honor you in that way. And so if it, that's you, if you would please stand up so that we can thank you. Thank you guys. And look, I know that they were probably uncomfortable with that and they're like, we didn't give so that we could get, but I just thought it was important for us as a church, especially with so many of us that are new and walked in and we just inherited this incredible uh, campus and we get to enjoy it, that we just honor them and, and thank them. And so let me end with this, is two takeaways. The first one is pretty obvious is I wanna continue to honor the past. And I wanna honor the past for the last hundred years of what it's taken for people to, to to be able to build this place. I wanna honor God and how faithful he has been to us and let that inspire us for what the future may look like. And I also wanna challenge us as we look towards the future because in the next, uh, after next weekend, we're gonna start looking towards the future. And here's the question that I have is, what kind of legacy are we building? What kind of monument are we building? What kind of monument are you building? If your life is a monument, what is it pointing towards? Is it pointing towards yourself? Is it pointing towards how successful you have been in your perfect Instagram family or perfect life or your, your success or the people that you hang out with or your beauty? Are you building a monument that one day people will say, well, yeah, it points towards them and it tells the story of their life? Or are you building one that points towards God? This week, my dad was telling me about a trip he went to Scotland and he went to go see the grave of John Knox, who was a famous um, pastor in the 16th century and they said, okay, they said, you know, his, his gravesite is at uh, this church. And so they went out to this church, and they're walking through. It's a beautiful church, and they cannot find his, his gravestone anywhere. And a plaque, nothing. That's weird. This guy transformed the whole country. And so they go out in the garden, and they're looking in the garden, and no, we don't see him out here anywhere. And they finally find it. And it was on parking spot 23 where he was buried. They had a little plaque there that said, in memory of John Knox, you know, transformed the country. Good for him. And I thought, I like that. I really like that idea. Because here's the thing, it's not about me. My life is not about me. I am not the point. I'm a pointer to the point. And so if you forget me, because you will, and, and, and nothing, that I, nothing that I do is ever remembered because of who I am, that's fine. Because what I want to do is I want to be a part of the story that God is writing in the world. Because that's really all that's gonna matter. And if I can be someone by either providing a seat, by giving a message, by shaking a hand that's gonna point people towards Jesus, that has an eternal impact. Because no matter what I do in my own power, it will be forgotten. But when I partner with the creator of the universe and I allow him to work through me, then I'm building a monument that really matters. Let's pray. Lord God, 
I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for how good you have been to us. Not only that you have provided us resources, but that you have allowed us to be a part of thousands of people's lives being changed. Significant things have happened here, Lord God. And we know that these are just a, a tool that we can use in order to point people towards you. And so, Lord God, I thank you for being faithful. I thank you for the, all the people who have been faithful to your call. And I pray that we would continue to be a church that is faithful. And Lord, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.